want to greet each one of you in Jesus' name this morning. I'll have to say I really appreciated uh, the opening in the Sunday school class. Uh, I appreciated just the everything that was shared here this morning. It's been a good, good time of worship for me. Today I'd like to look at Romans 7, in particular the verses uh, 7 through 25. This is a passage I've, I've wanted to share on for some time, and uh, I would start studying it, and I guess this has been the case since I've been fairly young, start studying it, and then start getting kind of mixed up in the the different laws and the different ways things were phrased and back and forth. And I know some of you have more analytic minds that can probably key into there and say, well, this is this and this is that. But for me, I had to uh, take a more holistic approach finally. And uh, I've read a number of commentaries in the past years and more recently uh, uh, read commentaries on this, on this passage and, and there were good commentaries, but, but uh, I came to the point where I, I was like, you know, um, there's an over, over uh, can I say, shadowing sense or overarching sense that, that, uh, of, of, a, of a subject here that Paul's addressing, and I need to find what that is. Um, and so that's how I want to look at this this morning. I'm going to call this message uh, Paul's Appeal. Paul's Appeal. I'd like to read this, this passage, Romans 7, 7 through 25. I'll read it quickly. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death, for sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful." For we know the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For to what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now, if that's not confusing or starts making your head spin a little bit, I'm not sure what will. <clears throat> if then I do which, that I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then... Now then, it is no more that I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For that which is good I would not do. For that which is good I would, I do not. But that evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing 
me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So first of all, I'd like to ask the question, who was Paul speaking to and what was their background? Well, in the, in the first part of Romans, it makes it clear that Paul was speaking to the church at Rome, which was a church of different peoples. It was made up of Jews and also made up of Gentiles or Greeks. Um, it was written to the Jew and to the Gentile. And, and Paul, when he's starting out into Romans, uh, he lays to rest the pride of both of them. He, he, he makes it clear to both of them that, that they're in, in respect to God. They've fallen way short of, of what God's requirements are, his holy and just requirements are. And read that in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In speaking to the Gentile, or more specifically the Greek, Paul makes it clear that in spite of their learnedness, in spite of their high society and all that, that they were actually very, a very base and sinful people. They were people in need of, of holiness, of sanctification, of salvation. A, a people living far below the, the righteous law of God. In talking to the Jew, Paul makes it clear that it's not of works uh, that, that they're saved, but the law of faith. And that's a, you can find that in Romans 3, 27, 28. I'm not going to turn to all these references, but you can look at those at, in your own time. Uh, Paul stresses to the Jews there that, that uh, Abraham was counted worthy in, the, in God's sight prior to the, to the establishment of the law. And it was because of his faith, the faith of Abraham, and, and Paul makes that clear to them. He was saved by merit of his trusting, believing in God. And this is uh, explained in Romans 4. And then from Romans 4 through chapter 11, it seems that Paul is more specifically directing his, his uh, letter towards the Jews. And, and the Greeks get to listen in. That's my impression. I believe that's the way it is. He's, he's specifically addressing the letter to the Jews and, and the Greeks get to listen in. So, so why so much real estate, if you want to call it there, that in Romans directed at the Jews? Why so much of, of Romans directed at the Jews? That's a big question. Well, first of all, I believe it is just a phileo love. Paul loved his Jewish family. Romans 9, 1 says, I speak the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have a great sorrow and an unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish myself that I were cursed, anathema, and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. Those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Paul loved his people. He, he wanted so badly for them to really know uh, the Messiah. 
enough so that, that he says he could wish himself eternally lost, is what he's saying, for their sake. And it's like he said, God had entrusted much to the Jewish people. Uh, in, Jew, in Romans 3, 2, it says the Jews have been trusted with the very oracles or the very words of God. It was to them that it was given. The, they were called out. They were God's chosen people to res- represent God to the nations around them. Jesus was born in the Jewish race. Uh, you know, with few exceptions, and Melchizedek maybe being one of those, uh, it's recorded in the Old Testament of, of men of God. With few exceptions, those are all, those are all Jewish men. Melchizedek was one, and uh, there's maybe, you could think of other, another one or two, but there's not many men of God that are recorded outside of the Jewish race. Jesus enlarged when he was on this earth here in his ministry. Enlarged, he ministered to, to fellow Jews. Um, the apostles were all Jewish, right? Including Paul. So could you say that, that where much is invested, much is anticipated? God was anticipating a lot from the Jewish people. He had invested much into this, this race that was called to bear his name and to, to show God to the heathen. So the mindset of these people were, were from a life that was very much centered. The Jews' mindset was very much centered on the law of Moses and the Jewish sub-laws that followed. Uh, a life to, to change that mindset to a life centered on Christ was not natural or easy. Uh, even though the, the Messiah concept had been in their culture for many, many years, to change their mindset from a, a focus on, on the law and the law being what, uh, what brings them into justification to God, changing that, that wasn't easy. They were a called out and peculiar people. They knew that among the nations. And, and, and from their own history, they saw that when they obeyed the law, they observed the law, they were blessed. Their lives were fruitful. Uh, and when they did it, you know, they weren't blessed. And so that was in their minds. And, and rightly, rightfully so. Um, their lives were at a much, level, a much higher level of holiness when they were observing the law. Much higher level of holiness than the heathen nations around them. And that Paul makes clear in chapter 2 of Romans. Another reason, another reason it was so important uh, that the Jews, that, 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 that Paul speak to the Jews here, is God longed to fulfill his promise to the Jewish people of the Messiah. God longed to see that promise of the Messiah to his people come into fruition. Uh, he had promised them a Messiah, but really the Messiah could only come to those who accepted him, right? He, God could promise you or I something, but unless we accept that, it really doesn't become ours. And his heart must have wept. God's heart must have wept when he saw that cynicism, that hatred, uh, the doubt that kept the Jewish people from embracing 
Jesus, his Messiah. His heart must have broke when he, when he saw the Jews hanging on to and worshiping the law, really, which was good and holy. The law was good and holy of itself, but it was not the fulfillment. His heart must have broke when he saw them hanging on to that and, and not reaching out to the fulfillment of the law, which was Jesus Christ, and, and accepting, taking salvation. Christ, when he was on, in his ministry on the earth here, he called out to the well-meaning and the messiahless Jew. He called out to him. He called out to the Pharisees. He reasoned with them. And if you think about it, the Pharisees, of course, were only one group inside the, the Jewish people. But when you think about it, the, the Pharisees were maybe the closest to, to the kingdom of Christ of any groups of, of Jews. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in angels and demons. So they were spiritual. Uh, they, they practiced the law very closely. Uh, but yet, Christ used the strongest terms on them. He, he called them a, a nation of... He called them vipers. He, he, called, them, he called them out for their hypocrisy. Um, and it was because they were focusing on what? The law. And, and instead of focusing on the heart of God which we find in the Sermon of the Mount. They, they were focused on the law. They couldn't go further than that. Jesus called the, the ignorant, the, the peasant, the farmer, the fisherman, the physician, he called Jewish men out of society. Um, he called them from a Jewish, simply a Jewish identity, to a, to, to a life of holy being dedicated to following him, the Messiah of Israel. They answered his call. But it was directed to these Jewish men. He called Saul of Tarsus from, being, from a well-meaning, dedicated, and directed life of, of serving the law of God, that only, to becoming a lifelong servant to the Son of God, to Jesus Christ. So Christ called out. These Jewish people were important to him. He wanted them to know the Messiah. He wanted so much to give them um, to have them become part of his kingdom. So what about, what is there about laws that hung the Jewish people up? You have the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, which would be the foundation of laws as I understand it. And then you have the sub-laws, that you'd find in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And then, of course, you have the Jewish sub-laws that were handed down, became societal laws and bylaws and uh, whatever other laws. And these laws went out and went out and went out. And it became a culture in and of itself. Laws passed from one generation to the next and on and on. So when Paul addresses laws, and you read a lot about laws here in Romans 7, when he addresses laws, the Jewish reader can relate to, to laws. That is, that is uh, something he's lived with all his life. He understands that. He lives that from little up. So what was the appeal 
Why was it so important? For the Jew to realize that there was no hope of salvation or sanctification was what Paul wanted to impress on that, that his mind. For him to realize there's no hope of salvation or sanctification outside of Jesus Christ and him alone, Christ alone. And this we read, we, we, we find in Romans 3, chapters 3 through chapter 6. It make, Paul makes it very clear to the Jew that only through Christ and him alone can salvation, sanctification be found or holiness be found. And, and why again the appeal is so important to the Jews? The, the law culture of the Jew had to be brought into subordination to Christ. That law culture had to be brought, be subordinated to Christ. And we know what subordinate means. It means to become lower than something else, right? To, for, let, for the will of, of something else to be brought higher than the will of our own. And that had to be done for, for, the, for the Jewish people to, to person to really appreciate Christ. The laws had become the Jews, had become their idol. And until that idol was chipped away, brought down, uh, the Jew could not really, really worship Christ. He couldn't appreciate the sacrifice of Christ as being the fulfillment of the law without that idol of the law being knocked down. He couldn't understand the atonement of Christ without the law being put into its right place. You know, up to that point, their atonement, uh, the sacrifices, all that had taken place, you know, once they went year after year, they sacrificed the lambs, the pigeons, whatever else. They, they put these sacrifices on, and in the Old Testament talks about that as having been a covering for sin. But it wasn't the washing away of sin. David talks about how that his sin being removed is like the east is from the west. I believe that's a New Testament concept. I don't believe that that was an Old Testament really concept. The sin was covered. Now, it could be removed by the looking ahead to, the, to Christ sacrificed. But only through Christ's sacrifice do we have that fulfillment that truly takes sin away as the east is from the west. So there was a covering up until this time. And, and the Jews had to understand that from time back till now, everything that had been done had just been a covering. It's like putting a bandage on a wound and keeping that down, you know, keeping it down. Until the time of Christ, when Christ came and he healed, he took that bandage off, he cleaned it up, he healed that wound, that sin wound. The Jew had to understand the law was not only served, that the law not only served as a moral guide, but that it also had become a, a tool of the devil. Remember, the devil always will use, will always take what's good and use it for his own purposes. And, and so the Jew had to understand that. Uh, and Paul talks about that in seven verse through uh, Romans 7, 7 through 9. Sin used the law to its advantage. You know, when the moral line was drawn, the, the devil used that line to stir rebellion, depression, or vice versa. 
It was like a broom coming into a room that was all dirty and dusty. Up to that time, no one knew the room was dirty and dusty. The broom came in there and it started sweeping and the dust rose and, and it, you know, suffocated the person who was doing it. Well, or suffocated the people in the room. That's a little bit of an example maybe of, of what the law did. It, it, it showed man his sin. It, and not only that, but man saw that and it, it, it brought about rebellion. And in that way, I believe it killed or it kills There's a, the Talmudic or Talmudic classification of the, of the Pharisees. I'd like to read this. Um, I think it's out of Clark's commentary. But it's all the Talmud, which is, you know, Jewish writings. And it, it gives a classification of, seven classification of the Pharisees. Um, there were the shoulder Pharisees. The one who wears his good deeds on his shoulders and obeys the precept of the law, not from principle, but from expediency. Then there's the wait a little Pharisee, who begs for time in order to perform a meritorious action. And then there's a bleeding Pharisee, who in his eagerness to avoid looking on a woman shuts his eyes and so bruises himself to bleeding by stumbling against a wall. And then there's a painted Pharisee who advertises his holiness lest anyone should touch him so that he should be defiled. Then there's the reckoning Pharisee who's always saying, what duty must I do to balance any unpalatable duty which I have neglected? And then the fearing Pharisee whose relation to God is merely one of trembling awe. And then there's the Pharisee from love. And... But it, it goes to point out that in all these six above here, except the Pharisee from love, there's is, is a certain amount of hypocrisy involved. There's a certain amount of sense of we're not really living in the law. We're not really able to fulfill the law or not really understanding The Pharisee reminds me here of, of, uh, of a Morgan Stallion that I, I raised and trained when I was late in my teens. And he was a smart horse, very smart. And he wanted to please most of the time. Uh, he had his ornery streaks, but he was becoming a good horse. I spent many of an hour training and, and uh, enjoyed riding this horse. One, one Sunday afternoon riding him, I went to, to cross a four-lane highway. And it was about time that I thought he should learn to cross a highway. I knew he had a little problem with lines when he saw, like, the lines on the road. He had a little problem with those. But we managed just fine. I got across the first-lane highway, went across the medium, went and started across the other side, got across the first line, and then the center line. And then all of a sudden, for I'm not sure what reason, he decided he didn't want to go across that last white line, the shoulder line. And uh, I got a little stressed because here I was on a, on a highway, four-lane highway, and my, my horse wasn't moving, and there was vehicles coming, and, and uh, you know, I didn't know what he's going to do if a vehicle comes and tries to go by, you know, he might try to bolt or something, and then we'd have a real catastrophe. 
So I dismounted, and fortunately the car stopped, the vehicle stopped back a good little ways. And, but, you know, I had to work and work him. I had to work the bridle this way and that way and back and forth and back and forth. And finally, you know, get him to step, take it one step a little closer this way and one step a little closer that way. And finally he took a bolt across there like if it was a big, you know, stream and I just barely holding on to the reins. But it reminds, you know, the, the Pharisee reminds me a lot of, of, of the horse. You know, here he had been brought up to the very edge, so to speak, to the last line. God had brought him this far. Um, he was given the law. He was given the very word of God. And, and yet, you know, to get across that line, he just all of a sudden couldn't do it. Just locked up. He couldn't take it in that the Messiah had actually come, that he was actually the fulfillment of the law. He just couldn't get across that, that, that obstacle, that mental obstacle, actually spiritual obstacle, huge spiritual obstacle. And to help him understand that, that he had been brought you know, this far for a reason, Paul, in trying to help him understand that he had been brought to this point for a reason, uh, he took great effort as you read through Romans, not to alienate or disparage the law in any way or, or you know, in any way give the sense that, that, uh, that the law was less than really good and spiritual and, and of God. And, and so it is. But somehow you needed to get him across that. And in verse 11 through 14, verses 11 through 14, he talks about how that the law is spiritual, is holy. Um, law is holy, the commandment is holy, just and good. Um, and then he goes on to say the law is spiritual. He, he lets them know that this, these are, the law is all good. But then he goes on to say, he says, I am sold as a slave to sin. We are sold as a slave to sin. Paul is telling them, as a fellow Pharisee, as a fellow Jew, we're sold as slaves to sin. And we need something more. We need something more than, than what we've had. And I believe that's where these verses come in here. Then in, in verse 21, 22, 23, I find then a law that when I do good, evil is present with me. You know, I as a Pharisee, I'm trying to, I'm really trying to, to live what is right. But I find that there's another law that's present with me. I see another law in my members warning against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Then we go into the next chapter, and I think we really need chapter 6 and chapter 8 to balance out chapter 7. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in the Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. 
So how does this apply to us today? How do we apply Romans 7 to us? Romans 7, 6 says, but, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Dying to what, what once bound us, we have been released from the law so we could serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. I don't say that it, I understand every nuance here. I understand um, everything about this, and I doubt I ever will. But it does seem clear to me that Paul is talking to that person who really, truly wants to do what is right. He really, truly, um, he loves the law. He, he delights in the law, but he's, he's, he's in a struggle. He's just not able to fulfill it. And he knows that. Uh, he's in a real struggle. And can we identify with the Pharisee? I think I can. I know I can. I can identify with that feeling of, of, you know, knowing and delighting in the law of the Lord, knowing and loving it, um, and yet finding myself falling so short from really doing it. You know, being a, a shoulder Pharisee who wears his good deeds on his shoulders or the weight a little Pharisee who begs for time to perform a, mer a meritorious action or the, uh, the reckoning Pharisees always saying, what duty must I do to balance any uh, unpalatable duty or any duty that I don't like? Or the fearing Pharisee whose, whose relation to God is merely one of trembling awe. Can you relate to any of those? I can. I have. Um, so, you know, there, there's, a, there's a place that I believe as young Christians, as older Christians, as middle Christians, where, where we find ourselves needing to read Romans 7 and understand, but by the grace of God, but by the grace of God, we are what we are. But by the grace and faith in God, can we really live in God's holiness? Can we really enjoy a victorious Christian life? Paul doesn't use this, and if you have to take, we have to take Scripture in context. If we read chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 6, it makes it clear that Paul doesn't expect us to, to just let things slide and say, you know, well... Um, you know, it's just by grace we're saved. He, he talks about that in, uh, in chapter 6, especially, you know, just to say by grace we're saved so we don't need to worry about living a life of, of holiness. Um, but then he comes into chapter 7 and, he's, and he talks about this marriage thing. He likens the law to us being married to the law and how that, you know, through death, through our death with Christ, being baptized into his death, that we're delivered from the law and we become, live in a, in a new state. And, and that's where then Romans 8 becomes so beautiful, is that it talks about us um, living with a new master, a master that we can actually call Abba Father. And now I'm covering a lot of territory here, but I just feel like it's, it's so necessary to get an overview to understand this particular passage. Um, 
And in, in having a father that we can call Abba Father, it's a father that we can walk with, who walks with us. And it's so different from trying to reach up and accomplish what we can accomplish on our own in the sense that we can crawl out to God. Sure, we might fall. We might fall again, and we might fall again. But we can grow. We can become strong uh, through the grace of God, and we can become victorious. Romans 8, 1, 2, and 3. I'd like to read those in closing. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit, Jesus talked about how that he that believeth on me, out of his belly, out of his very inner being, shall come rivers of living water. And that's what I believe it's talking about here. Living, not dead, living water. The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, the flesh couldn't live up to it, God did it by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. So we're not living this life of holiness by ourselves, but we're living it through Christ. He's there to give strength. And I'll, I'll say this again. I don't believe strength always comes in a big shot. It's not like a steroid that we get and all of a sudden, here we go. It comes through exercising muscle, our own muscle, Receiving grace, believing, working, and reading the Bible, praying, it comes, it comes by effort on our part, but mostly it comes by the power that Christ gives us. It, it, it's, well, I liken it back a bit to the, the, the Messiah concept again. The Pharisee couldn't, couldn't know the Messiah unless he accepted the Messiah. God wanted the Pharisee to have the Messiah. But, and he promised it to him. And he fulfilled his promise. But the, the Pharisee had to receive the Messiah for, for that promise to really take effect. And it's the same way here. We have to receive. And it's not just um, today. But it's today and tomorrow and, and ongoing to have this strength. God bless you. I hope that if nothing else, this will, this will inspire you to... To do a little more study in Romans, it's a, it's a wonderful book of encouragement.